You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. It's been about six weeks since Seattle's new law against public drug use and possession went into effect. The ordinance was written to bring the city in line with a new state law that treats things like having or using fentanyl in public as a gross misdemeanor. One of the directives handed down to Seattle police is to emphasize diversion when enforcing the law. So how does that work and how is the effort going? KUOW's Kate Walters is here to tell us more. Hi, Kate. Thanks for being on Soundside today. Of course. Great to join you, Libby. So first of all, this new law came into effect after this big showdown with the city council, which first voted down the measure in June before the council passed it with some changes in September. Uh, It went into effect October 20th. Just remind me, Kate, how did the ordinance change things in Seattle? Yeah, well, essentially, it gives the city attorney's office the ability to prosecute people for possession of illegal, illegal drugs like fentanyl or for using them in public. And As you said, this stems from a new state law that was passed this year that classifies possession and public use as gross misdemeanors. But back in the day, these crimes were felonies. Um, They were rarely prosecuted by the King County Prosecutor's Office, but they were felonies. And during the pandemic, a state Supreme Court ruling held the state's law unconstitutional. So for the past couple of years, these crimes have been classified as misdemeanors. Uh, Referrals to services were required prior to arrest. And then the state had to go ahead and pass a new law. So slightly convoluted history. But where we've landed is that Seattle police are now enforcing this new state law and arresting people for possession or public use. But the city's asked police to emphasize diversion in those cases. So since Seattle's law went into effect in late October, what have you been seeing? Well, as of the end of November, the Seattle Police Department says 47 arrests have been made under this new law, but the vast majority of those arrests aren't ending up with people being booked into jail. They're ending in diversion to services. So SPD says 33 people have been diverted so far. They say those who have been booked into jail, quote, either committed or had outstanding warrants for unrelated crimes and some were in unlawful possession of firearms. And what is diversion, Kate? What does that look like? Diversion basically means that when an officer arrests someone for a low-level crime, they send them to services within the community instead of sending them to jail. So they'll call case managers with the Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion Program, or LEAD, as it's known. They'll do this sort of warm handoff to get people connected with case management, you know, help with housing, legal issues, treatment, whatever it is that they need to change their situation. I spoke with Liz Woodruff. She works with clients who are referred to lead. And she says once an individual has agreed to connect with them, they have uh, an initial conversation and then that person has 30 days to complete their intake with the program. And if they do, the charges against them will be dropped. Um, Woodruff says, you know, when that person does complete an intake, she will then create a plan with folks to address their goals. And a lot of People's goals are, you know, I want to take care of my warrants. I want to get housed. I want to get into shelter. So we start kind of mapping out a plan with them based upon their specific goals. Um, And then I think just trying to meet basic needs. If folks haven't been connected with case management, they may not know they're eligible for food stamps or maybe they need some really intensive medical care and we have nurses on site that can help with them. So trying to kind of meet basic needs while also mapping out what's the plan going to look like and then just building trust with them. So, you know, Woodruff says that every person's needs are unique, so every plan is going to be unique. 
But this is this is an intensive long-term approach. It's not a, hey, let's pick you up off the corner and put you somewhere immediately. It's not a quick fix. It's really trying to get at the underlying issues that people are facing. Yeah, and that word trust that Woodruff mentions is so key, right? Because if you're connecting people with a system that has let them down in the past or that they've had negative interactions with in the past, uh, there's not going to be any progress unless there is trust and that building that is so key. Um, in the cases that we're talking about, Kate, related to the city's new law, folks are being sent to services because of drug possession or use. So are they required to get treatment as part of that plan? I asked Woodruff about this and she said it's not a requirement to partake in lead. It's not, you know, someone doesn't have to be sober or wanting to get sober to be taking part in these services. Here's what she had to say on that topic. Their services could include treatment, but it's not limited to treatment. Um, and so that could be a part of it. That's part of their goals. Um, but our goal is really just seeing our clients holistically and asking them, what are your goals? What would it look like for you to be living a meaningful, productive life for you? So, you know, Woodruff says that she and her team prioritize really a non-judgmental approach with folks. And she says asking these broader questions and treating someone as a whole person may often lead them to wanting to use less or wanting to seek treatment. Uh, But it's not coming at it from an approach of you must do this one thing or you can't participate anymore. Hmm. And you mentioned it's not a quick fix. What's the time frame like for these programs? Yeah, I mean, from what I've been told, for someone to go through this program and stabilize relatively quickly, you're looking at about a year. And that's that's the fast end. So others may need support for multiple years, you know, potentially a decade or more. Uh, and so I think it's important for the community to, to understand that kind of timeline and the fact that we're addressing issues that are chronic um, and longstanding and often come from generational trauma Uh, you know, oppression uh, and experiences within um, systems that have led to a continuation of the the issues. Yeah. So when it comes to providing services or when it comes to going through the program, what kinds of hurdles are people running into? Yeah, there are a lot of them. You know, this is not this is not an easy one to kind of say, like, here we go. Steps one, two and three. And now you're done. Um, But up front, one of the things that Woodruff mentioned is just the ability to get people through the intake process. So, you know, she says most people who are arrested and offered diversion take that opportunity. It means they don't go to jail that day. They want to be connected to services. But then they have 30 days to complete the intake. And lots of her clients don't have stable housing. It's harder because folks, you know, are homeless. They're living in poverty. Keeping track of days and appointments is difficult. And... You know, when folks move around a lot due to being homeless, it's hard for us to find them. So in that screening process, we say, hey, where do you normally stay if you're outside? Or maybe you're staying in a shelter. Can we come there to find you? So we will outreach folks to try to get that intake completed. But if we can't find them, they will get charged with that charge after 30 days. Mm. Other issues that they're facing include just scarcity of resources. You know, for instance, they may have someone who feels really ready to be in housing, but that's not always easy to find or immediately available. Uh, And then there's the fact that, you know, LEAD has a limited number of case managers, people like Woodruff, and they've all got pretty full plates with more referrals coming in all the time. Yeah. The overload of social workers, of service providers, the caseload is just incredible. And the burnout for those jobs is also incredible. 
Um, and I just think about that consistency aspect. Like if you're in recovery, if you are trying to get mentally healthy to get off substances and you don't have a place to lay your head, if you don't have housing, you don't have a stability, you know, when you uh, try to go to sleep at night, that's something that is really going to suffer. All Everything else cascades from there. Bigger picture, Kate, why is diversion something that the city is pushing for? Yeah, I mean, this is the idea behind this is to stop people who are experiencing poverty or um, behavioral health issues from just continually cycling through the criminal justice system. Um, And, you know, instead, trying to address the basic needs that they have and address the underlying issues. So here's what Woodruff had to say about that particular topic. I think what's happening for a lot of individuals and why diversion is important is that folks continue to cycle. So if somebody is outside using drugs outside, but maybe has a connection with a case manager, maybe is working towards getting some permanent supportive housing, if they get arrested and go to jail for 30 days, that appointment they had for housing or that appointment to get their ID falls through. And so then we restart again. And so this, you know, the criminal legal system is is very cyclical and our clients really experience that. You know, one of the other concerns with the cyclical nature of this that Woodruff brought up is that if someone is using drugs and they go to jail, they're at higher risk of overdose when they're released. So it's sort of there's a danger period there when folks come out of jail. Um, And people can also get caught in this cycle where they have financial obligations after a jail stay that they can't pay. And that can result in another warrant. And so you can see how it all can just kind of cascade and add on top to keep someone trapped in that cycle of poverty, of being outside, of being contacted by police, cycling back through, and then it starts over again. Uh, And what the idea is here is to not only interrupt that for the individual, but also for the broader community. Um, And this kind of diversion program has been shown to be effective. For instance, it uh, has been shown in studies that it reduces recidivism. Mm. You know, this approach isn't new, Kate. There's been diversion programs uh, in Seattle uh, for years. How does the new law change the way diversion works here? Yeah, I mean, lead in the idea of diversion has been around for over a decade here. Um, Lisa Dugard helped to create the program in King County back in 2011. And here's how she described this new focus on the approach. I liken it to, you know, you find at the back of your closet a coat that you really love and you realize you've had it all along and sort of forgot about it. You know, Dugard is basically saying the architecture has been here this whole time. But yeah, I mean, essentially what has happened is the the way that this program's been used has changed over time. So when it first began, all referrals to diversion, all referrals to lead were coming from police who had arrested someone. And then over time, you know, there were these conversations going on with stakeholders and police were basically wanting to get out ahead of things and saying, why would we wait for there to be a problem when we see people around all the time who we know are good candidates for this? We know that they need services, Um, you know, so why would we wait for them to commit a crime to, to kind of connect them with this program? So then there was this shift and most referrals, instead of coming after arrest, they were still coming from police. But they were coming from social contacts and police going up to people and asking them, you know, do you want to be connected with services? During the pandemic, of course, everything changed. Um, You know, we saw that that there was kind of this um, halt put on a a lot of activities, including things like making arrests for low-level offences or even, you know, having the police going out and contacting people for safety concerns. Um, 
And leads started taking referrals from the community during that time. So businesses who may have someone that they're concerned about or they're seeing behaviour that's concerning, they could call and make the connection. The change that has occurred here with this new law is that we've kind of gone full circle. And so Dugard says the referrals that are coming through because of the arrests of this law mean that the arrest portion of things has just shot back up again. And we're seeing more people connected to services through that avenue of having had that initial contact with police officers. Hmm. So supporters would say, you know, this new law is emphasizing diversion. It's getting more people into services. But what concerns are you hearing about the new drug law in Seattle? Yeah, I mean, the initial concerns and during that whole period where the city council sort of had the back and forth over this was that this would be the war on drugs all over again. I'm not currently hearing that from folks. You know, currently it seems like the promises that were made that diversion would be prioritized. Um, We're seeing that happening. But there's still a lack of resources and there's still sort of a lack of ability to know that this is a sustainable approach. So here's one thing that Lisa Dugard had to say about that. We've had a, a spike in arrest referrals. We're on pace. SPD projected that... In 2024, there would be 500 to 700 arrest diversions uh, to lead. And we are seeing referrals on a pace that could definitely get to that number. Because we did not, there was no additional funding for lead services in the 2024 budget. It's very easy to see that, you know, kind of the train is coming through the tunnel. And um, we do not have capacity to take even that number of new referrals and continue to work with our existing clients, let alone also accommodate uh, community referrals. So you can sort of hear her saying there, you know, we've got to figure out how to do this thing. Um, You know, I think it's a really nuanced conversation around what the front door should be, you know, how many front doors there should be for people to be connected with a service like this. You know, they they really loved having that community referral piece of things and obviously would like to work out a way to keep that as part of uh, the way that people can get connected with LEAD. Um, so that's an ongoing conversation. You know, I will say uh, on a slightly more optimistic note that you know, one thing that Dugard said to me is that for where we are in 2023 and the way that the U.S. approaches drug offences as, you know, so part of the criminalised system, she was basically saying we're in as good a spot as we can be at this point in time. Seattle has gone a step further than the state law and they have said, you know, we recognise that we're going to be enforcing this as as a gross misdemeanour. We recognise that the city attorney can prosecute, but we're also asking police to take this alternate route and to funnel people into services. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that Seattle is in a budget hole. They're facing down a big gap in funding (laughs) over the next couple of years. And yet, if the city says it cares about diversion, it would fund the program. And that's one of the reasons that the law failed to pass in June was because Andrew Lewis and some other critics on the council said, you know, you're not funding uh, new diversion efforts. So how is this actually going to be implemented? So we're going to have to keep a close eye on that, Kate. It is early days for the city's new drug law, Seattle's new drug law. But before we go, do you have a sense of how people who have been arrested or have been diverted so far are faring? 
So I, I don't have a ton of detailed information on that, but what I was told by caseworkers that I talked to was that the folks who were sort of caught up in the first round uh, of enforcement, you know, there were a couple of operations in the downtown area, in this um, Chinatown International District, where police targeted kind of areas that are known for open-air drug use and possession. Most of them have completed their intake. Some did not. Um, and some folks may be contacted multiple times and may be referred multiple times for services. That can happen. But most of those folks have gone through their intake and are in the process of making plans with case managers to work out kind of what are their goals and how they can get there. People who have been arrested in more recent weeks are still in that window where they are able to complete the intake process. And so the case managers are actively trying to connect with those folks, trying to do outreach to find them if they have not already come in. KUW reporter Kate Walters, uh, we're going to have to keep following this. And thank you so much for your reporting today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to Soundside. This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org.